Bueno, ¿qué pasó anoche? Ok, no es lo que esperaba, pero tenía el nivel perfecto de picante. Suena interesante y caliente. Tenía todo el sabor. Los Ghost Pepper Wings de Popeyes son tan deliciosos. Espera, yo pensé que hablábamos de tu cita. A veces las cosas no son lo que parecen. Pruebo hoy los Ghost Pepper Wings de Popeyes por 5 dólares, que tienen el nivel perfecto de sabor y picante. Por tiempo limitado en restaurantes participantes de Estados Unidos. Precio puede variar. Impuestos extra. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Sassy Silversations podcast. I'm your host, Tierney Jordan. I just want to start this show by asking, how are y'all doing? These first few weeks of 2021 have been a whirlwind and I just wanted to do a quick check-in. How are you? Have you eaten today? Have you been drinking your water? Have you been minding your business? Have you been unplugging from social media? So today I want to encourage you to think about those things for real. And let me know the answer. But um, I just wanted to do a quick check-in and ask, how are you? How you doing? For those of you who know, and for those of you who don't, Sassy Silversations is a community that facilitates the exploration and expansion of what it means to live at the intersections of being a sassy, soulful, and spiritual individual. I have curated this digital sacred space for us to be all of those things together. So I want to give a special shout out to all of our patrons. The support of our patrons make the podcast possible. We have some really awesome things going on in the Patreon community and new things coming this year that you don't want to miss. So you can join the Patreon community by heading over to patreon.com backslash I am Tierney J. The links to the Patreon and all other show details are available in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. If you have any questions or you that you would like us to answer on the show or if you have any topic suggestions any guests you would like to hear us interview um or anything in general you want to share with me in the podcast community feel free to send us an email at sassy soul pod at tierneyjordan.com um, you can check in with us on facebook instagram patreon whichever is your preference you can shoot us a line and we will respond All of the information is available in the show notes. We look forward to hearing from you soon and answering some of your questions in future episodes. All right, I think I've gotten all of the introductions and housekeeping out of the way. So let's jump into this week's word of the week. We start every episode with the word of the week. The word of the week is for us as a community to discuss and expand the meaning of the words we use to define our spirituality. So this week's word or phrase, should I say, is free thought. Free thought is an epistemological viewpoint which says that beliefs should not be formed on the basis of authority, tradition, or revelation, but that beliefs should instead be reached by methods such as logic, reason, and empirical observation. And so during the show, we get a little bit more into free thought and free thinking and exactly what those things mean and how we can incorporate them in our spirituality. But I just wanted to give a quick overview here. So as it relates to our spirituality and as it relates to this journey on which we are continuing I think that free thought is that ability we give ourselves to ask the questions and to come to conclusions that our church tradition might not necessarily agree with. So those questions that you have that people have always told you you weren't supposed to ask, the answers you get by actually asking those questions and engaging in the critical thinking that comes with that 
I think that's the ways in which free thought reveals itself as it relates to our spirituality. And so, like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about it in the actual interview. But I just wanted us to think about what it would mean to add free thought to our vocabulary when we think about our spirituality. I'm sure some of us are already doing it, but we weren't necessarily naming it. And so I just wanted to draw our attention to what that actually is. So do you guys think that this is something that we can add to our vocabulary when we think about our spirituality and the ways in which we interact with the divine? You think we can do that? I think we can do that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Alrighty, so now let's mosey on over into this week's interview. This week, joining us for a sassy conversation, we have Kalila Harris. Um, I had the grand pleasure and opportunity of meeting her at a Rise conference last year, right before the entire world shut down. I think that was mm-hmm. the last thing I did outside um, was go to Rise. And so um, I got to meet her there along with some other awesome Black women who... Um, integrate their faith into the work that they do and so um yeah we've been developing this digital relationship ever Mm -hmm. since so um (laughs) kalila tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you're passionate about oh wow okay so um i am southern girl good southern girl from florida um and i guess as it relates to my passions um so i'm passionate i'm pretty passionate about um my collage art, which is something I recently started um, as like a, an innovative way to like disseminate my research. Um, and, and I'm really interested in African-American women's history, cultural history, social philosophy. Um, and let's see, I'm passionate about ministry, <laughs> about God. Um, although I'm really still trying to figure out exactly what my ministry is gonna look like. Um, Gosh, what else am I passionate about? You know, I'm I'm pretty passionate about life, I'll say. I really do enjoy living and um, making friends, spending time with people that I love. Um, So those are like my bigger passions. I hope I nailed everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And so here at Sassy Silversations, we are committed to exploring what it means to live at the intersections of being sassy, soulful, and spiritual. And so I'm just going to ask you how you feel like you embody those things and what those things mean to us. So the first one is sassy. And so when I think about sassy, I think about the womanish talkback version of sass and um, no holds bar. And so what does sassy look like or mean for you? And how do you feel like you embody that? Sassy for me, I don't know. My grandma calls me sassy. (laughs) But I don't necessarily like look at myself and consider myself sassy. Because I feel sometimes like sassy is, it's very extra. It's very like razzle dazzle on top of something else. Um, and I feel like it's a very intentional, I like recognize the intentionality of sassiness mm-hmm. um, and a sassy woman. And so for me, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just say what's on my mind and I really just um, live my life. And I um, try to live my life in such a way that like I do not put myself in a box or allow others to put me in a box. And so I guess you can say um, my sassiness is like rooted in that need to just be me. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I say what I want. I'm an, I'm an intellectual. <laughs> I'm like a philosopher. So I say what I want and you're going to hear me whether you like it or not. And exactly. um, uh, I think another important thing about sassiness and sassy women is the confidence. I feel like you have to have a certain level of confidence to um, present yourself in such a way. And so um, I don't know where I get the confidence from, but I'm just confident that somebody wants to hear what I have to say. Yes. <laughs> so I just say it. And even if um, they don't, I just say it because, um, like I said, like um, I'm an intellectual or intellectual beings. And so I think at a, to a certain extent, um, holding yourself back is like unhealthy. 
Yeah, you got to let the people know what's on your mind. Yeah, I just feel like it's a part of being authentic and vulnerable. It's just kind of like um, expressing yourself. And then when women do it, when Black women do it, it's sassy. Right. So. I like that you said the authentic and the vulnerable kind Mm -hmm. of like ignite the sassiness to come out because you're just being yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, I feel like sassiness is what the world interprets us as Mm -hmm. having. Um, and a sassy woman is what the world interprets us as being. But I really think we're just women who are authentic and vulnerable as it relates to our emotions, our thoughts. So that's, that's I like how that. I look at it. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so um, the next one is soulful. And so for me, um, I think about like being blackity, blackity, black. And so <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything that I do, I want to make sure I'm doing it from the perspective of being confident in my blackness and making sure that I don't ever lose that. Mm-hmm. And so um, what does soulful mean for you? And do you feel like you embody that to a certain extent? Um, I feel like um, soulfulness or like to be soulful requires a kind of like... Um, connection to those who have come before or things that have been before Mm -hmm. and so for me I consider myself soulful because of that inclination that I have to acknowledge and be connected to the past on top of my love for black people and black things and black being blackness so you know I'm intentional about this is really, this is specific, these are specifics, but like I'm intentional about watching old black films, Hollywood, um, uh, black Hollywood, old black Hollywood, um, like some of the first black films that were ever made, silent films, black and white silent films. I'm intentional about the music that I listen to. Mm And I think these things helped me exist in the present because there was just a way that Black people um, in the past lived and expressed themselves. Like going back to this authenticity and vulnerability, I think Black people Mm -hmm. were living in like a sociocultural, political context, a world in which they had to express themselves um, because all that bottled up frustration um, and sorrow and sadness, I think, is just was just not possible to withhold, like to keep in. Right. And so, um, I really admire the rawness, the authenticity, um, the openness that I feel like Black people in the past really um, had and lived their life with and through. And so, for me, it encourages me to live openly to live um, to the fullest. Um, And then that openness makes me susceptible to all of the good African angels and and ancestors that are just all around me. Yeah, who are? So there's like this kind of like, I don't know, this interconnectedness Mm -hmm. um, that goes beyond like temporality also, I, I really just think that like, um, I'm just, I just, that ever connectedness that I have with black people here, black people then, black people in the future, um, it just, it, it just comes out a certain way. And I guess that's soulful. Yeah. I like it that. Me soulful. <laughs> and I like your, um, your intentionality behind then, now, and future. And it just makes mm-hmm. me think about time and how mm-hmm. time is not linear, it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we go back mm-hmm. and forth and, and how I mean, we birth our own futures. Really, like, exists within, like, the construction of time as we know it, like, Western constructions of time. Um, I think Black people live in this dimension where we're just, like, I don't know. There's no, like, time is not, like, Western constructions of time, I don't think conceptualize, um, like, the phenomenon that, like, I, I, I'm, like, still trying to develop the words. I was just in a, um, in a symposium about time with some awesome Black studies scholars. Um, but, yeah, we just, we just exist in a completely different space, and I feel like, um, 
through that existence and through that kind of like being, I'm able to be connected to all the things. Yes. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We were prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I like that. And then, um, so last but not least is spirituality. And mm-hmm. so um, here at Sassy Silversations, we're committed to the seat. We're committed to the journey of spirituality, whatever that evolution looks like, how it can be the same for some people, different for some people, how it evolves and changes. Um, So whether that's rooted for you in Christianity, whether that's rooted for you in Buddhist meditation, whether that's Mm -hmm. rooted for you in African indigenous religions, whatever Mm -hmm. it looks like, being committed to the seek and being committed to that journey. Mm -hmm. So what does spirituality look like for you? How do you feel like you embody that? I I think um, so. I will acknowledge that I kind of function through the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. like the African, um, like uh, African American denominational churches, or like what we understand as like the Black Church. Um, but I will say that I'm a free thinker. Like you know, people. A lot of my um, greats, the people that I look up to from the past, our ancestors, etc. We're like free thinking black people. Um, and so, and like I said, it's like earlier, like I'm a thinker, like that's all I do is like I think, I, I talk about what I'm thinking, I talk about the way things should be, what life is, what things mean all the time. And so, um, but I exist in this world, like I'm in my head a lot, but I'm here. And I like see and feel all that's going on in the world. And so I am, you know, while I anchor myself within the Christian tradition as someone who acknowledges uh, the life and ministry of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm very unconventional in the way that I express myself as someone who anchors herself in, you know, that tradition. And, um, it means a lot to me to be able to ask those very questions that I think in my head and not be silenced right. or not be, you know, confined to, you know, coffee table in seminary or, you know, at a convention at the bar where we're just kind of talking and saying all these crazy things, you know, <laughs> with the uh, whiskey sour. But then when we go to church or when we're using our platforms and we're speaking from our social media accounts or saying another thing. And so, um, for me, I feel like, and I think this kind of goes into like my, my ministry, but I really do see myself as someone who makes space for people who have been or are still anchored within the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. but who are trying to honor their ways of thinking and what, and their soul's needs, whether that be a continuation within the tradition or something completely different. But um, ushering people or being a sheep next to a sheep, walking with people towards um, a space, a mindset, um, a disposition that fits them. Like on my Instagram and on my Twitter, my bio says sizing people for shoes that fit their feet. So that's something for me that... Um, I do for others and because I do for myself. Right. And being able to figure out exactly what that looks like for you, even if it's not exactly what it looks like for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to figure out what size shoe we are (laughs) together. Together. That's what spirituality is to me. Um, Yeah. That's what spirituality is to me. Like it's just like finding it through community, finding out how we want to live, in this world and the world beyond and how we want to operate, knowing um, having a consciousness of like a higher power, a deity. So, yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about um, what it means to you to be a black Southern belle. Mm. 
my gosh. This is like my favorite topic in the world. So, wow. There's like so many things I could like get into, but um, of course it's a particular brand of womanhood, right? So I'm not gonna say that all black women in the South are black Southern bells. And I'm also not going to um, sit here. And, yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and act like there aren't like particular um, characteristics and such of a black Southern belle. Um, I'll just acknowledge the kind of like camp that I feel like I fall under. And so for me to be a Black Southern Belle is like to be like this, oh my gosh, like what are the words? Just this like sophisticated, free, um, like gorgeous socialite, of a black woman who just has community here and there who walks into a room and like tilts the room is that the same um who like who just captivates anyone that she comes into um into contact with a woman who just always looks just so great she's wearing the latest the latest things the best things but also has a particular kind of style she is sassy. She does express herself. She's confident. Um, she's graceful, well poised, um, and she's really somebody who embodies the the rich, rich culture of the South. You know, like the South is where we started in this country on this land. Um, it's where we still predominantly are. Um, and there's, I just don't think anything can compare to the content below the Mason Dixon. I just feel like the land is beautiful. The accents are beautiful. The communities, like the way black people express themselves in different parts of the South is just really beautiful. Um, and the fact that a, a, like a black Southern belle is this like sassy, soulful spirit. Like, I also think, like, to be a Black Southern Belle means, like, you just, like, have this kind of aura, this energy about you. Um, and I don't, and I and I absolutely think it's, it has everything to do with this space and the, the fact that we've been here and um, we're going to continue to be here. And so, girl, this, the Black Southern Belle is just, she's just everything. <laughs> she's just everything she's, she's the best yes and so how do you feel like um your embodiment of the black southern bell um affects your ministry and the way you see ministry so so like i said earlier there are different strains and different kinds of like um variations of this brand of womanhood and i've noticed that i wasn't raised in the church but i've noticed that there is like a church kind of variation of the black southern bell who's kind of like this proverbs 31 woman mm -hmm. and so i think sometimes i run into a problem because i'm very much a secular black southern bell gotcha. like in that tradition i'm a more i'm the secular so i don't hold i i'm traditional while at the same time being forever orient, oriented towards the future and so like I love certain traditions while I'm very much like we have to, you know, we have to evolve. And so sometimes certain Proverbs 31 <laughs> type of like Black Southern Bells really um, hold on to like values and norms that are actually antithetical to the way that I express myself and the way that I exist. And so sometimes people will see that I'm a Black Southern Bell and then they'll think that I'm one way and then um, I kind of proved to be like, like almost antithetical, um, like politically, <laughs> socially, philosophically. And then um, people like don't know what to do with me. So like they come to me for something or they, you know, want me for something. And then when they see how I really am or how, you know, how I am, then they're like, oh, I don't know. So sometimes I run into issues in ministry 
because on the outside, I kind of appear to be the very type of woman who has the most kind of privilege within the Black church space. Um, and so people are wanting to give me access, but then when I open my mouth, <laughs> they're like, oh, wait, uh, wait, 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 <laughs> never mind. And then, um, you know, you know, they take, they go back on their, you know, requests and stuff like that. So I've run into that a lot. And it, at one point I really was considering just kind of like changing the way that I showed up because I was causing so much confusion. I was like, let me just change the way that I show up because I can't keep having this issue. But then I just realized like, you know, God called me, um, who I am to be in this space to do what I do. And, um, you know, somebody has to be there to like help people kind of break down the walls and break down the um, very limited understandings, deconstructed, very limited understandings they have of certain kinds of women and expressions of womanhood. So, um, you know, and then sometimes as it relates to people who I could be ministering to, sometimes people will come to me for certain types, for a certain kind of theology mm -hmm. um, because of the way I present myself. And then again, when I open my mouth, they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. And so, you know, like, I, I really like to think of myself as like a secular Black Southern Bell who also happens to be Christian, who also happens to do ministry, but it's like not in the church like that, like that. You know? Yeah. And so um, you keep talking about the importance of free thinking and how you mm -hmm. are, um, everything that you approach is from a free thinking lens. Can you explain that a little bit more? What does that mean for you? How important is that part of who you are to you? Yeah. So one of the things that I um, studied kind of informally at YDS was African-American free thought and like the intellectual history of African-American free thought. Um, so, for example, just like public thinkers like W.B. Du Bois and uh, Frederick Douglass and um, Langston Hughes. Um, and free thinking primarily from what I have, um, what I've come away understanding in my research is more so the ability or the, and the willingness to um, ask questions and to challenge things and to like critically engage with things, literally. Like free think, it, it's really that simple. Like to be able to say um, church is more so a social institution than it is a religious institution. Well, so the church is primarily a social institution to say something like that or to say, um, a pastor's engagement with the congregation is based on the congregation's needs and not what the pastor learned in seminary and how the pastor is willing to challenge the congregation. Like these are things that like public intellectuals have like come away with in their books and their studies of the church. Or, and even just like with Langston Hughes, I remember um, Langston Hughes, turned away from Christianity um, because, you know, he kept hearing his whole life. Well, he was a child at this time, but he kept hearing like, you know, um, if you if you call on Jesus, Jesus will come. And he called on Jesus. I think either he called on Jesus or a friend called on Jesus in the time that they needed Jesus and Jesus didn't show up. And so they started asking questions like, you know, what does this mean? What do you mean when you really say this? And mm -hmm. um, why am I not allowed to do this as opposed to do this and such? Like, why can't I have Bible study? And um, why can't I lead a study session at the church and use a different text? Like, why do I have to privilege the Bible epistemologically? Like, just asking these kinds of questions. Like, I'm not afraid to ask these kinds of questions. I don't think that God is shaking in God's boots when I ask these kinds of questions. Um, and so just literally the ability to not just think and allow my thoughts to come up naturally, but to also honor them by speaking them. 
and then not being silenced when I do speak them. For me, when I say I'm a free thinker, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, like, maybe I'll call God she, maybe I'll call God he, but God is God. And I would right. rather not use pronouns to talk about an infinite cosmological force. Like, <laughs> you know, and that's a simple statement, but like, I know for a fact that like there are churches that like I have connections to in the South where I could not say that. From the pulpit or like absolutely could not say that. Or I couldn't, um, like I said, would mentioned a little bit earlier about privileging the Bible epistemologically. When I construct sermons, I like to use other people's texts, you know, like I like to use. I might want to preach Sojourner Truth. I might uh, want yeah, like, like, to like, preach the Bible. I'll have a, a biblical text, but I'll have something from Du Bois, or I'll have something from Ida B. Wells. Like my first sermon, I opened with a quote from Ida B. Wells. The title was after, was um, I got the title from, you know, one of her speeches. And so, you know, there are spaces that you can go to that they don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. And they'll sit there and look at you like you're crazy. And so, you know, just being able to try new things, knowing that God is like, you know, y'all got it. <laughs> right. God isn't cringing at your yeah. thinking abilities. Yeah. Or just yeah. throwing things out there. Right. And everything that you think doesn't necessarily land, but just being able to have the conversations, being able to honor the thoughts, to speak them out loud, to give voice to them. Um, And so as you've been on this journey as a free thinker, as a Du Boisian, and as you've come into your own, so to speak, from traditional church um, theology and practices and things like that, how has that journey been for you? Has it ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt excluded? Like, how have, how have you gotten to the point to be comfortable in exactly who you are? So I'm, again, going back to the authenticity thing, I don't know how to do anything else but be myself. So yeah. like, at the root of that, I'm like, I honor my thoughts. Like, I just do. Like, I honor my thoughts. I honor my opinions. I honor my, the way I come to know something, I honor that. And so um, I think, so part one, that has, I think, gotten me in trouble is the confidence in my thinking. And not in trouble, but just gotten me to where like, oh, you're bold, like type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then um, quite frankly, what makes me confident in even speaking things out loud is because I go to these conventions and I go to these, you know, and I'm in these networks and I'm, you know, a seminarian who meets other seminarians and people are saying the same thing. They're just not saying it out Out loud. loud. Like they're just being so corny. I don't want to call them hypocrites. They're being corny. They're being corny. So um, that gives me confidence too, because I'm like, I know nobody's really going to check me because y'all think the same thing too. So you're not going to check me because you're not going to say something to me publicly because we've had this conversation privately, <laughs> you know? And so my thing is, and, and fundamentally I am confident in my free thinking because everybody thinks freely. Yep. It's about honoring those thoughts and expressing those thoughts where people, where it gets real muddy and gets crazy. But everybody asks these questions. Everybody. And so for me, I'm just like, I'm not weird because I'm thinking these things. Everybody's thinking these things. And if everybody's thinking these things, why is it a problem that I'm saying these things? Right. And not letting society or culture or institutions put a box on whatever it is that you're thinking, whatever it is that you want to say in with the fear of losing an opportunity. If I lose opportunity, it wasn't my opportunity in the first place. I'm going to be, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to show up in my authentic and vulnerable full bodiedness. And I'm going to give you, give you all I got. And if it's not for you, it's for somebody else. And I think that if we really pay attention to people who are asking these questions, they want the authenticity. They want the vulnerability. They want the person who ethically went through seminary. Yes. And not the vulnerability. Like I'll get in the pulpit and tell you, I used to drink or I used to smoke. No, we need to go. No, nobody cares. I, nobody cares about that. <laughs> I know you drink and I know you smoke, sir. Like we all know, do. 
when stop. <laughs> you know, I know you cuss. And I know you uh, I know you engage in premarital sex. Like let's move beyond those things. Like we're not like this is we're not I feel those are talking points for the baby boomers. I don't know. Like I just like, so actual vulnerability to me for people who are in ministry, who are pastors and preachers and ministers is saying like, sometimes I don't trust God or sometimes, or some constructions of God, some certain types of theologies set God up to be a misogynistic douchebag. Yeah. And sometimes I ask God, where are you? Yeah, sometimes I'm like, you suck right now. You're not giving me, because, you know, because the Bible says X, Y, and Z, but I'm out here and Black people keep getting shot. Black women are dying, giving birth, doing the natural thing. You said, be fruitful and multiply. We're trying to, we're dying, you know, and, and nothing's happening. Like, we're asking these questions. We're saying all these things. And like, so for, for, for preachers and ministers to get up there and just be like, um, you have to trust God and, you know, suggesting that questioning God's goodness, God's sovereignty is uh, evidence of a lack of faith and, the, you know, all these stuff that needs like toxic definitions of faith. It's just like we are thinking beings who call ourselves humans. Things are going to come up. And God can handle my questions. God no matter whatever the question is. God can handle my questions. I don't have to censor myself for God. And what I stand confident in is the fact that like the the concept, so t- philosophically speaking, <laughs> the concept of God is illogical. So we as people who have no, also have no tangible evidence, mm-hmm. right? Who constantly have to encourage ourselves to believe in this thing are going to have some questions sometimes. It's, while this concept may not be provable, logical, mm-hmm. what is logical is the questions that we're gonna have. And so I don't, so if we do believe in this all-knowing, all-powerful, like uh, that in which nothing greater can be conceived, God, we have to, hope that God understands when we don't understand. Yeah. And if you don't have any questions, then to a certain extent, that means you figure God out. And if you figure God out, what's the point of God? Or if you don't have questions, you're not engaging with God. So then we have these people who say, I'm I'm a real woman of God. I'm a real man of God, real person of faith, because I don't question God. But it's like, it's like when, when friends say we've never had a fight or when couples say we've never had an argument. You're not in relationship with that individual. You're not in relationship with that person. You're not communicating with that person. And unfortunately, unlike the humans that we have relationships with, if God knows our thoughts, God knows you're mad anyway. So you just lie to yourself. So you're lying, so you're lying to your, that's the one person you're lying to. You're lying to yourself. I mean, and you're lying to God, but God knows. Right. God knows you're lying. Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, you know, I took a class called the Book of Job my first year in spring, Book of Job in Contemporary Life. And I mean, that class just set me, gave me the confidence I needed to kind of like show up in this space in this way. And, you know, my favorite, you know, I think I gave you this Mm -hmm. quote as my favorite quote. Yeah. When, um, after all that talking Job was doing and Job's friends are like, see, this is why your life sucks. Look at you coming at God like that. You're crazy, disrespectful, da, da, da. And at the end for God to say to Job's friends, you didn't speak the truth of me like my servant Job. Well, what did Job say the whole time? I mean, Job was so mad at God was like, even when I go to sleep, you bother me in my dreams. And the way for me, I just interpreted that as God honoring our limited understanding of God and our critical engagement with the world and with life as it happens. And mm-hmm. so I just don't see then why God would say Job talking smack was telling the truth. I would take that and then censor myself. 
Yeah. Especially as a black person living in America. I think it's so disrespectful to tell a black person in this anti-black world that their questions are bad. Really with the way that we have to live. What is a bad I honor free thought because I love black people and because I understand the black experience. And God is somewhere in that. Yeah. You know, I just imagine God just like, you know, a little pat on the sh- rub on the shoulder, like, you know, it's okay. I hear you. You know, when someone lets someone just kind of let it out on them, mm-hmm. I just see God and I'm like, mm, tell me how you feel that it, you know, a little more. Did uh, you get it I all just, out? Yeah, did you get it all? You good? You know, I just hear God um, constantly honoring that. And then showing up and blowing our minds through like this, this radical affirmation and radical love. And then that cycle going on for the rest of our lives, right? Because I think a, a, a breaking point for me in my life and really before I got into ministry happened and I literally, it literally shook my world and I asked God, who are you? What what are you? Literally, who are you? I literally asked that because I was like, how could you let this happen to me? What I didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I'm doing I'm I live the way that I ought to. How did you not look out for me? How did you not stop this or prevent this from happening? And child, it was I thought it was a rhetorical question. Child, God answered it, told me who God was. Rat in a radical way thereafter, and it's mm-hmm. still answering that question for me. And so I also honor free thought, free thinking, because I, because God responds to us. God will explain God's self in in the various ways, in ways that help us and sustain us for the road ahead. So that was really why, because at the other side of when we push past the fear of challenging God and the fear of being in deep relationship and actually interacting with God, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much love on that other side. And I think that critical questions like, who are you? Are you really good? Get us to those beautiful answers. Yeah. And if we aren't committed to that journey, if we aren't committed to the evolution, if we aren't committed to our ideas and thoughts about who God is changing, we never get there. So you don't get to the radical love. You don't get to the beautiful answers if you're not comfortable with the uncomfortable moments. What I understand about God today is radically different than what I understood about God a year ago. So... I should be able to get into, go to church, go to my little life group and talk and speak, right? Because even this love that I have for God, this God consciousness that I have, it may have been, it may have commenced um, by way of engagement with church, but it was in the classroom when I changed my major to religion and philosophy. And it's always in the classroom at Yale Divinity School where I am interacting with God more and more and more and more and more. And I'm like, our relationship matures, becomes more sophisticated. And it goes from like this, loving this cardboard cutout of this concept to like really being one with all that exists. Mm -hmm. And those little conversations, like I have been blown away to tears, ready to, ready to run around. I'm a runner sometimes. And I like to lay out too. I've been laid out from little conversations that I've had with classmates after class. People just say the most profound things about God. And then I just feel like God just knocks me upside the head. And then I'm like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> right. And I think that's why it's so important for us to have these conversations outside of the classroom. Everyone isn't going to go to seminary. And not, so- they don't have to. Right. We should be doing the work outside of the classroom to allow people to engage these thought provoking moments, these mind blowing moments, these um, this version of God, these versions of God that we are privileged to know, to engage, to be in relationship. So why are you in seminary learning all these things, 
radically changing your mind and letting God like blow your mind if you're not going to then go back to your church and share it with people. You know, and there are a lot of young people right now in seminary coming straight out of undergrad, still in their 20s, early 30s, when seminary is traditionally like this space for like older folks. Mm-hmm. And I want millennials to honor themselves, right? Sometimes we try to go back back into these spaces and we want to be respectful. We want to respect our elders. But are they respecting us? Right. Because both are ways. they making space for us? Are they honoring us? Then it's not a matter of disrespect. You need to respect your self and the God that brought you to and through this space where you learned all these new things to prepare you for this very thing that you're now um, limiting yourself to do. It mm-hmm. it's not adding up. And I want I want people our age. I want people in our generation. I want black women, millennials to like, no, (laughs) if we're supposed to be thought leaders and thinkers and stuff, like let's take these thoughts, let's take these conversations, let's make them public. And hopefully let's create space for the people who miss the church, but feel like they can never go back, go back. Yeah. This has been um, a really thought-provoking, very life-giving conversation. I want to shift gears just a little mm-hmm. bit to yeah. talk about um, small nation photographs oh, and yeah. um, your Black collage art. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about that. So, you know, it really started as a Black Southern Belle, I and as someone who has this kind of like particular lens and like a way I see and understand the world, I was like, okay, where did this brand of womanhood come from? Where did it originate? You know, who, um, let me understand this. So um, informally for years, I've always done research on um, black social women's clubs, uh, like black homemakers and tastemakers, black socialites, all these things. Um, and the history of, you know, certain kinds of women, the, they'll, in certain regions, they're black Southern bells and other places they're black bells. And um, historically they're black Victoria after the Victorian lady. Um, and so once I really reached back in this research um, to like, you know, antebellum era and free black women who were walking up up and down the streets of the North being beautiful and fabulous (laughs) and middle, upper middle class, upper class. um, I was like, oh, let me get into this a little bit. And then when you learn about these women, they're fascinating. Like for example, um, Josephine Bruce, she's known as like the first black socialite. She was the wife of a senator. Like um, she just lived a fabulous life. Literally, she was a lady principal at Tuskegee and they made her a principal because she was like the prototypical black lady. Like she was just that girl. And um, these women and their lifestyles and the lives that they lived were fascinating. Um, Another good example is Mary Church Terrell. Mm -hmm. Her mother was a fascinating woman who literally made all things work together for the good of her daughter. Like Mary Church Terrell is the woman, was the woman that she was because her mother literally set her up to be great. And, um, it's interesting though, because of certain cultural practices, um, a lot of these women live very privately. So their stories aren't at the, you know, really visible in the historiography of African-American women's history. And um, sometimes you really have to like, if you know about this and you know about this and you know about this, then you can like piece together and like understand this woman a little better. And so in terms of methodologies for uncovering these kinds of women, the collage art medium is pretty analogous to these methodologies. And so I decided to 
to use collage art to provide visuals for my research. Also because these women didn't always take a lot of photos. <laughs> like there's only one picture of Josephine Bruce, one. And so if I wanna create a photo of her world, right? Cause that's also the purpose of the collage artist to like present a visual for these, for the world in which these women, you know, enacted these beautiful experiments, you know, quoting Cydia Hartman. Um, I have to like take this one headshot of her, kind of cut it out, put it on a body and then put it in a room. And then I can have a picture of Josephine Bruce at a, at a, uh, at a ball, you know? Um, and so, that's what kind of why I really wanted to use the collage art medium again because it's analogous to the way that I unco go about uncovering these women. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so it is really fun um, using the different pieces, using the different pictures to like create an image or recreate images is fascinating, and it really helps me as I take. Um, cultural history, as I take so, um, women's their social philosophies, um, and I and I reconstruct or reimagine their world in order to sit within it and tell their stories. Providing those visuals, not only for myself, but for other people is, is so helpful. It's so helpful. Because I just imagine myself sitting in a room, hearing them talk, looking at their dresses, looking at their um, necklaces and all the stuff that they have um going on and where they're about to go and the, the, the clubs that they're about to start or the meeting that they're about to attend and um i think as a because like as a historian like that's what you have to do you have to recreate their world or represent their worlds so that people can like journey back in time mm -hmm. And so I really, really do believe that the collage art helps me do that. Um, and then for those who don't want to sit there and read a history article, <laughs> they can look at this picture. And it tells and a story. Little, and it tells a story in and of its own. Picture is, is worth a thousand words. So how many words do you think of a collage photo is worth <laughs> multiple pictures in one? You know? Yeah. That's beautiful. Um and so I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us today and telling us a little bit about who you are and unpacking mm -hmm. your theology and the ways in which it influences your work. So what is in store for your future? What does Kalila have in the works? So recently um, I switched. So I'm no longer in the Master of Divinity program. I'm in the Master of Arts and Religion program, and I'm really focusing more so on academia really also doing a lot more with the art. So I am also in the works of curating an exhibit, using collage art to really talk about um, black women, elite black mixed race women in the 19th and uh, early 20th century and their engagement with Christianity. So I'm really excited about that and just looking to engage a little bit more in the arts, in the art world. And um, and then from there, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, and watching all your passions come together in a way that's unique to you. I think that's yeah. all what we're just trying to figure out. How can I be all of myself and do everything I'm passionate about in a way that's unique to me and fulfill right. my purpose and vision and calling? How can we connect with you? Where can we find you? How can we reach out to you? All of those good things. So um, my Instagram is at Kalila.Harris. Um, my Twitter is um, at underscore, underscore Kalila. I'm on Facebook. I'm Kalila I.L. Harris. And um, my collage art page is Small Nation. It's at Small Nation Photographs. So we will put um, all of her information in the show notes. So whatever it is, yes, it will be correct in the show mm -hmm. notes where you can reach out to her and connect with her. Um, this has been so much fun. Do you have any last words, anything on your heart that you'd like to share as we wrap this up? Um, 
not particularly. I, I would just like to affirm anybody who has questions, concerns, doubts, you know, laments, um, and I just ways of knowing and ways of coming into information. I want to just affirm that and I want people to walk in that and trust that God is walking with them through those tough questions, those weird questions, um, helping them find an answer that sustains them. We are going to use Kalila's favorite scripture as our centering text for the blessing and benediction of today's episode. She briefly mentioned it while she was discussing the ways in which her critical engagement of the book of Job shifted the way she approaches her relationship with God. So the scripture comes from Job 42 and 7, and it reads this way in the New International Version. After the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz and Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So basically in the text, God is telling Eliphaz and Temanite that they will suffer God's wrath because they lie. Unlike Job, who told the truth. So my blessing today is powerful yet simple. Be honest with God. And I know religion and traditional church spaces have often asked us to censor ourselves and to be politically and to be politically correct. But today I want to challenge those ways of knowing and being and encourage you to be honest with God. God knows how you feel. God knows the truths of your heart, the truths of your mind. So how liberating and freeing could it be to actually be honest about those things with the divine? I'm talking about like conversations. I'm talking about building relationship. I want you to have open and honest conversations with God. Tell God your dreams, your visions, your desires. Tell God your fears, your frustrations, the things that cause you pause. Tell God what you love. Tell God what you like. Tell God the things in which you find problematic. Have open and honest conversations with the divine because these are the things that build relationship. These are the things that would allow you to know one another in a deeper and more meaningful way. So how often do you actually talk to God? And if you are talking to God, are you being honest in those conversations? Are you laying everything on the table? Are you putting it all out there? How often do you have those types of conversations with God? Okay, so I feel like I said a lot and a little all at the same time. But the point that I'm trying to make is that God already knows exactly who you are. So what do you have to lose by being honest in the conversations that you have with the divine? I would offer that the only thing you have to lose are the harmful and unproductive ways you've been taught to interact with the divine being we call God. And only deeper relationships and more beautiful answers to gain. Now, I'm not saying that this won't be a process and that God won't surprise you during the journey, because sometimes when God reveals things about God's self, we can be surprised. And so I'm not saying that this won't be a journey. I'm not saying that this won't be a process. I'm not saying that you won't be surprised along the way. But what I would offer is that what's on the other side is greater than what's been. Let us pray. God, allow me to be honest with you in the hopes that I can begin to be honest with myself. Now this time, I want you to say it with me. God, allow me to be honest with you in the hopes that I can begin to be honest with myself. Amen. Ashe. 
All right, so that is all for this week's episode of Sassy Soulversations. If you enjoyed the show, I'm asking that you please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Please share this with a friend, with a family member, anyone you think that would enjoy the content that we discuss here. Um, Sharing the show, reviewing the show, liking the show are all really, really helpful. So like I said earlier, something new that we're looking to do this year is look for more ways to incorporate audience participation in the show. So if you have any questions you would like us to answer on the show, any topic suggestions, or just anything in general you would like to share with me or the podcast community, please feel free to send us an email at sassysoulpod at tyrannyjordan.com. Um, you can connect with us on Instagram at Sassy Soul Pod. We have a Facebook page now, Sassy Soulversations. Um, all of this information is available in the show notes. So we look forward to hearing from you. We look forward to connecting with you and even answering some of your questions in future episodes. Again, I want to give a special shout out to all of our patrons over on Patreon. Like I continue to say, you make the work we do here at Sassy Silverstations possible. If you would like to access at free versions of the podcast and a digital download of this week's benediction, or if you don't care about those things and you just want to support the podcast financially, please check us out at um, patreon.com backslash I am Tierney J. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Sassy Silverstations community today. i see you next time. Bye. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.